0: and intellectuals of this time. The innovative minds. The intelligentsia. Those that are breaking down the barriers and choosing a bohemian existence, escaping from dreary suburban ideals and materialistic death traps. Where are these engaging people? The risk-takers. The revolutionaries those living apart from this big unrest, those escaping the sterility of corporate junkies who get high on materialistic consumption.
1: Welcome to the
0: Bohemian Beat where we will journey beyond the horizon and find the artist living on the edge Going down into the murky waters of their very existence, where these brave souls have re-emerged with art that is challenging, original, and brutal. You have tuned into the Bohemian Beat. I'm ready with you for the next hour. Today on the show, I will be exploring the plight and salvation of a mob of Eastern Grey kangaroos in Bathurst. But first, let's start with a song by Tenth Man a band whose lead singer Ray will be shortly telling us about this noble endeavour. (laughs) That was Bathurst Band 10th Man with Colonizer. I recently travelled to the midwest of New South Wales and caught up with members of the group Tenth Man who are supporting lead singer Ray Madwish in an ambitious and highly successful kangaroo relocation project of hundreds of eastern grey kangaroos from their home in an old apple orchard on the side of Mount Panorama. The location for the Bathurst 1000, a world famous car race. Ray, also a consulting ecologist, and his partner, environmental campaigner Helen, led this operation with a large team of volunteers, including wildlife experts, veterinarians, community groups, businesses, NGOs, including Raha and Ecology Centre, Wires, Bathurst Kangaroo Rescue Project, Skillset Green Army and the Bathurst Council. Now these kangaroos were to be culled to make way for further expansion of the racetrack and all these people and groups came together to make a change. To tell us more, I catch up with Ray at the relief site after a busy night of relocating kangaroos. So Ray, can you just tell us a little bit about you know how this kangaroo project started and, and how you got it happening to this, this magnitude?
2: Kangaroos have been getting shot in Australia now since white people arrived over 200 years ago and it's all anyone seems to think you can do with them if you need to manage kangaroos. Um, and in 2009 Bathurst Council decided to shoot the kangaroos that were on Mount Panorama because they're next to a racetrack but they did it without any sort of real understanding of of the wide open spaces around Mount Panorama that were now covered in houses and farms where there used to be kangaroos. So the scale of decline in kangaroo populations is is quite significant. I would suggest it's probably 90 to 98% decline for the species. Um, So when Council bought um, the Appleton Orchard, they bought it with its own resident um, mob of kangaroos and it's a a mob of kangaroos that I deal with frequently because they live next door to the road to the tip and they're constantly getting run over and caught in fences so I have to deal with that. Um, And when Council bought the orchard, I told them that um, they really should come up with a plan um, to manage the kangaroos. If they're going to destroy the orchard, the kangaroos will go everywhere, basically, and and they'll just scatter into town and, and get hit on roads and, and that sort of thing. So uh, I, I advise them that that would be the situation, and instead of doing anything about that, they just went into the orchard with their excavators and started ripping the orchard out, and of course, you know, the kangaroos went everywhere. So that afternoon we had 21 kangaroos in Bathurst. Um, I managed to dart three of them, one of them in company with the police. Three of them were hit by cars, another one turned up dead in somebody's backyard. Uh, we got no idea what happened to the other ones. So um, as a, a wildlife management outcome, it was a bit of a disaster and I think council accepted that it was, wasn't was very well executed. Um, so I managed to get a meeting with them at the time and talk about you know options for management of the population and I suggested that it would be possible to relocate the kangaroos. Um, They're in conflict with the car racing. There's a harness club next door. They were concerned about OHS issues with racing horses around and kangaroos hopping around at the harness club. So nobody really wanted them there. Um, And then we found this wonderful lady who did want them here. So um, once we had um, the link between a place that we could take them away from that is harmful and not good for kangaroos and a place that um, is good for kangaroos and there are resident kangaroos here, not many because it's been farmed and, and shot in the past. Um, you know, we just progressed that discussion with council and with national parks until we got to a point where um, we had the, the support and approvals that we needed to, to do this.
0: There seems to be a lot of very bad press about kangaroos.
2: A lot of the negative press that kangaroos get um, is is an, sort of it's an agent for their destruction. Um, there's, you've got to have a social licence to be able to shoot millions of kangaroos a year and to beat joeys to death. You know, if you look at a kangaroo, most people would go, I wouldn't kill that. And if you look at a joey, most people would be quite horrified at the idea of picking it up and beating it to death against a car or something. So... Um, the the roo- roo industry have worked for 150 years um demonizing kangaroos they destroy crops they they kill people all of these things um we hear it all the time um, but it it simply isn't true um, they're, they're creatures of forest and woodland. So, once you put a cropland in, you've actually destroyed their habitat. So, if they go, if they live in the forest, they go to the edge of the forest to eat some of the crop, and the farmers then say they're destroying the crop. But the fact is, they're just, they've been pushed out of that space into the forest or the surrounding fragments of bushland that, that there are. Um, so, yeah, they, they don't destroy crops there. The densities that, if you look at the actual data, Um, the departments get, the densities of kangaroos through cropping land are approaching zero. Um, There was a study done in 1982 in Victoria where 85% of the state was surveyed for kangaroos and they concentrated on the cropping land and they described them in 1982 as quasi-extinct at that stage. So um, the densities in in farmland are extremely low because they're constantly persecuted by farmers and it's where a lot of the commercial harvest industry has had licence to operate for a long time see the marsupial, the victim of colonial
3: Hunted to extinction, International national eviction A stride in the of arms, foraging on the farm Chide for the dinner plate Can't we take one step back? Take a look and see what we have done. Why can't we understand when we connect?
0: This is a huge endeavour. Can we talk a little bit about the process of of what's involved in relocating kangaroos? Because it's obviously a very, very um, difficult thing to do.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, Impossible and difficult are two different things, obviously. Um, This has been extremely difficult. Um, But if you look at it in in different sort of stages of, of what we've achieved or what we've had to do, um, obviously, there's the paperwork side that comes before everything else, so there was quite a bureaucratic process to negotiate with the department, you know, 60-page submission um, and then multiple sort of explanatory expansions on, on that to get the approval through the licensing people. They sent it away to five people to be reviewed. We didn't actually get any comments back from the reviewers, but they did load it with a lot of rather onerous conditions, including doing all sorts of biodiversity studies at the release site. And... All, all sorts of stuff, putting radio collars and ear tags on kangaroos. So there was a lot of um really unnecessary um, difficulty added to the project. but if you if we didn't have to worry about the paperwork, um it's it's basically a sort of three stage process. You've got to um contain the animals. So we've done that with um temporary fencing around the orchard, um and then we've been running that containment program where, Every morning and evening we go up to the compound and we um, walk around the perimeter. Because the orchard is prime kangaroo habitat on um, Mount Panorama, um, all of the kangaroos want to be there. So we've let in in excess of 300 or so kangaroos that have come to visit the orchard and um, we've intercepted them on the fence line and opened up panels and let them in. So we've actually, it's been like a vortex, just sucking kangaroos in from the whole um, precinct a kangaroo can roam four kilometers across its normal home range so pretty well any kangaroo on Mount Panorama has the range and capacity to visit the orchard so we've possibly sucked in maybe as much as a, as a third of the entire Mount's um, kangaroos.
0: And and how is that possible so you are you saying that because you were able to contain some of them the others then wanted to join them?
2: That's correct. When when we put the fence up, we caught the orchard mob, which numbered about 150 kangaroos with a high proportion of females, obviously, in that um, grouping. There's very heavy male mortality in kangaroo populations because they roam around looking for females, so they're more likely to get hit on roads and shot at by people and caught in fences and stuff. Um, But as well as that, the orchard is the shadiest, the grassiest sort of place on Mount Panorama the apple trees are a lot shadier than say a eucalypt tree even so we had multiple heat waves through summer um, and we had sprinklers on in the orchard and watering points so all of the kangaroos from around that could smell that water they knew about the shade so it was just a big magnet for them all Um, so yeah once once we started doing the containment it it became more and more successful and yeah we got quite good at um, herding and catching kangaroos. It's not what it sounds like. It's nothing like sheep.
0: Then what happens?
2: Okay, so after after the containment, um, then you've got to um, acquire the animals and then release the animals. So the, the acquisition of the animals we've been doing by darting. Um, we've had uh, large teams of people that have been involved in that, so to dart and, and take the kangaroos away. Um, you know, we've got spotters, with, we're doing it at night because it's easier to get close to the animals to dart them at night and other kangaroos in the orchard don't see what's going on at the other end so you're able to dart pretty well for four hours and not disturb every kangaroo in the orchard and take quite a few away. But then you've got spotters to help track them after you um, dart them because sometimes they run away, they don't like being darted very much. Um, so they, they run away but you've also got to dart the joeys with their mothers so um, there's a bit of complexity involved in in getting them caught, but then once you've got them darted and once they're sedated, um we would call down a stretcher team. so we had we've got two stretcher teams on on some busy nights um, and they'll come down and and collect the kangaroo and take it up to the shed. we've We've had a specialist medic who um, is a very experienced um, wildlife carer, James Fitzgerald has been um, maintaining their sort of stable um, sedation with a mix of jugs just to make sure that they um, don't wake up and, and scare themselves or injure themselves in the shed. And then once we've got enough kangaroos, so depending on how many vehicles we've got available at the time, um, it numbers anywhere from sort of 6 to 13 kangaroos in a night. Once we've got that mass of kangaroos all ready to go, we give them a, a travelling dose of the sedative. Um, and then we load them into the vehicles, and we bring them over here um, to the release site, where we we lay them out with um, blankets. We put heat pads on the small ones, so joeys could be um, susceptible to um, getting cold and, and and you know maybe not surviving the night if it's if it's too cold. Um, and then we um, observe them through dawn until they're all up, up and hopping about again.
0: And then you release them into, or you just let them let them out of that containment area.
2: Yeah, so the containment area is quite big. It's about 40 acres, Um, so we can fit a lot of kangaroos in there and we're allowing them to acclimatise for a minimum period of about six weeks, which is a common figure in um, wildlife care circles that you don't just catch animals and tip them out in the bush. You you take them and allow them to calm down from that removal. Um, You need need them to place themselves in the environment. You need them to find their friends. So with the number of kangaroos that we're moving out of the orchard, um, this gives them the capacity to, to find their their siblings, their mothers, their daughters, and reform their social bonded groups. Um, so we're just containing them still at the moment, but we're pretty well almost at the point now where we can open up this space um, and release those animals um, into the surrounding environment. Um, that said, it's not um, the the release um, enclosure isn't kangaroo proof. Um, so we've seen them jump out. We've also seen them jump in. Um, But it's a big deterrent, so it's it's nearly it's about six feet high all the way around, but they can get out if they want to. So we have had leakage, so we do see kangaroos with tags outside the compound and they're often travelling along the the fence line um, trying to get back in because that's where all their friends are.
3: Strange with my own ways. Homeless in my own place Standing on a hilltop but Even then it won't stop I'm Trying to keep the bloodstain It's a river of a turtle shine well, Why can we take one step back?
0: Kangaroo by a Tenth Man. And before that, an interview with lead singer and ecologist Ray. This is The Bohemian Beat, and today we are featuring a true and incredible tale about how a whole mob of kangaroos were moved from their home in an old apple orchard on the side of Mount Panorama. When we arrive at the compound, the pressure is on, winter is coming, and there is an urgency to move the kangaroos before the nights become too cold. The pressure of keeping the bulldozers at bay and especially the pressure from the ones keen to cull the inconvenience to commercial gain. The core team are exhausted. This has now been going on for months. The volunteers gather for the briefing before beginning the night's activities. James, an experienced wildlife carer, begins.
4: It's a contribution of all our volunteers. You know, it's a huge effort that everyone's putting in, and all your time helps myself and Ray and Mel uh, look after the kangaroos and, and focus on their on their welfare. Um, you know, the fact that everyone's quiet and we handle them gently ends up that I give them less medication. You know, so there's a whole bunch of things that everyone's doing here that keeps the animals nice and calm, and stress-free, which ends up in a good result. Uh, at the release site, you know, where they wake up nice and calm and stress free. So our success rate has been phenomenal um, and this project will be known for that compared to other kangaroo translocations. Uh, kangaroos are a very difficult animal to translocate, they're highly stressed. You know, things like lions and rhinos and different animals, you can have them sedated in a crate and let them wake up in a crate and they'll wake up okay and then you can open up the thing and let it go. Uh, people have actually done it at a kangaroo and they break their necks because when they wake up they're confined, they panic, they freak out they sm- and, they've got, and they've got powerful, powerful springs in their legs. And so you can imagine when you're a little bit affected by medication if they try and get up on those springs, very powerful springs uh, that, that, that puts them at risk, so that's a very difficult thing to do. So part of the reason we move them at night is that uh, when a kangaroo uh, wakes up at night, like when we move them at night If they stir a little bit, and they might get the blanket off their head, it's so dark, they go back to sleep. If they got daylight in their eye, what happens is they they freak out. Because in a daylight, they want to be up on a bit of a side of a hill, under a little bush, in a location that they know they're safe from predators, and they've got a good view of predators. So if they wake up in daylight after drugs, uh, after medication, uh, in a location they don't know, they don't know where the safe spot is. So that's why they then they get up on those powerful springs too early and they panic. So that's why we do it all at night. They mo- they wake up much calmer. Also, the medication we use keeps them quite calm. Um, sorry, I'm a bit tired. <laughs> oh yeah, with with the with the animals, uh, myself, Ray or uh, Mel and Scott will be here later. We'll take the lead on any animal issues. So. Uh, we've all got training and experience in how to handle these animals, and so we just ask that uh, really other people don't in- intervene unless we ask you to. So there's ways of handling them, and also reading their body language and all those sorts of things. I think I, that's probably that's probably enough. Yeah. Uh, and we might hand over to Ray to explain his side of the world.
2: Yeah. Okay. So what we're doing is very risky for the animals themselves. Um, darting can cause injuries. Um, but probably more dangerous than that for the animals is once it's starting to be affected by the drugs, they start to lose coordination and they can get scared and, you know, the powerful springs start to kick in and they can fall over and thrash around and have quite a distressing um, time being um, inducted by the by the drugs. Um, so I myself find that distressing as well. Um, so when we dart them, we want to keep them as calm as possible. So. If they run away a little bit, we follow them with a torch. We don't follow them on foot. If we can follow them with the torch, that's good enough. And further away, you can watch them. They're more likely to just calm down, start nibbling the grass, and then they'll just fall over instead of having a sort of rougher time of it. If we do need to follow them, you know, there's a lot of hazards out there. So there's piles of timber that they could crash into and fences and those sort of things. Um, We go sideways around them um, to get an angle where we can see around piles of timber to look at them and that sort of thing. Um, but we don't go towards them. We've got to try and minimise that as much as possible because not only the kangaroo can run away from us, but you could also mobilise other kangaroos and if they go past that kangaroo then it will try and run off with them and keep up with them. Um, and we can waste a lot of time looking for kangaroos that have run off into the into the orchard or whatever. Um, so um, we'll, the spotters take your lead from me. Um, Matt obviously as well has a fair bit of experience handling kangaroos as well, so he'll be... Um, he and Mel, I'm not sure at the beginning how you two want to work it, but we'll be splitting up and myself and Tiff and Gerda will go for a second target once we um, get a dart in the first one, um, and Mel and Matt um, can organise according in the stretcher team um, when the animals are ready to coming picked up. Um, so I'm ready to go. I think we've got all our gear sorted. We're all good? Yeah. Okay.
0: Mel, another of the key people involved in this kangaroo relocation project.
5: I did my honours project up here, so it was with UTS um, in Sydney but Ray was actually doing his masters with the super supervisor that I picked for my project um, and it just worked out really well. They needed more people out here, Bathurst Council said that they were happy to put in funding for equipment. And through that I just met Ray and Helen because every time I came down here I stayed with them. And we stayed friends, we stayed in contact. And so when they told me that they were going to be moving kangaroos off Mount Panorama, I thought that was a great opportunity to come up and see the kangaroos that I'd been working on and to see if any of the tags that I set out were still there as well. My initial project was um, using technology to count kangaroos. So at the moment, the main way that they count kangaroos is by um, conducting aerial surveys. So they just, they fly transects and then they use the numbers that they count along those transects to make estimations about how many kangaroos live in the environment. Um, So that's really costly and it can be a little bit vague at times. So we thought that by using camera traps and ear tagging with um, VHF radio receivers on them, that we'd be able to get a better idea from the ground. And as it turns out, the camera traps, if there are enough kangaroos in the environment, are quite good. I catch
0: up with James, who's busy with a medication and tells us about the measures taken to avoid the deadly condition of myopathy.
4: So yeah, this one's the, it's vitamin E selenium and it, it counteracts uh, the effects of, of myopathy. So it's, it's a preventative to myopathy and kangaroos are highly susceptible to it. So this is just part of best practice so I think as you've seen how with the care we take with handling the care we take through sedation to ensure that they stay nicely sedated they're not waking up they're not getting stressed right through to the release site where they we make sure you know doing it at night time where they wake they sleep a long time and wake up quite nice That's all adds up but this is also a preventative so if anyone did get stressed this helps counter the condition or prevent myopathy, um, which can actually kill them. Kangaroos are highly susceptible. Humans are one of the least susceptible animals. We are. We, we, the reason we lost our fur is because we're an endurance animal. We can jog all day. Um, kangaroos, you know, they can have, be chased by a dog, not even be touched by the dog, and die at a later date, you know, in the days afterwards, sometimes even a week or so after.
0: That was James, a wildlife carer responsible for the tranquilizers and keeping the kangaroos sedated once they have been darted by Ray. And we also heard environmental scientist Melanie. You are listening to The Bohemian Beat, broadcasting nationally since 2007 across a community radio network. Today we are featuring a true and incredible tale about how a small group of people are saving the lives of hundreds of kangaroos on Mount Panorama. I caught up with Helen, coordinator of this massive endeavour. One of the um, areas we'd like to look at is there's a lot of misinformation out there about kangaroos. Can you sort of shed a little bit more light, give us a bit more context of what the real situation is?
6: Yeah, it's really interesting how for such an iconic animal that everyone has an opinion about, a very strong opinion that affects affects the way they're treated by policy um, and by Australians and what Australians accept as normal um, and how, how many myths there are fueling that uh, so one of the first things is that kangaroos are really slow growers, they're really slow breeders they have very low reproductive rates and they have very high juvenile mortality so there's this idea I think that underlines the whole um, notion of kangaroos is that of uber fecundity uh, that they breed like rabbits and and plagues and pests, which allows, then it gives social and political licence for them to be shot um, and treated really badly. And for a commercial industry to be shooting them by the hundreds of thousands, the millions every year, when people don't understand that these animals being shot by the thousands, because you get a lot of people saying, well, there are plagues of them. It's like, well, show me the plagues Uh you get in the in the estimates, which is data that is extrapolated and manipulated and applied to whole landscapes where the actual count data shows none are being counted. Um, when you get those estimates having biologically impos- impossible population explosions, it's just interesting that the scientific community, the politicians, and and generally, and you can't expect people to kind of look at that and understand there are questions to be asked. But no one has bothered to ask the questions, which. It's kind of sad for the kangaroo that there is so little interest, such antipathy or outright antagonism towards these animals that no one actually stops to say, hang on a minute, this is biologically impossible. A population explosion is biologically impossible. They, they breed slowly. So, OK, as an example, you have a kangaroo doe. Let's talk about an and grey kangaroo. So it's different for each species, but this is the species that most people hate, unfortunately. Um, you get a kangaroo doe, the science says, and a lot of published science has said this, she has about eight breeding years in her, okay, if she lives that long. She will be two and a half, three years old before she has her first joey. The first joey generally dies. This is what the science says, okay. It takes 18 months for her joey to become independent, so... Um, At 12 months the joey will leave the pouch but it's still dependent on its mum for 6 months and during that time she might have another in pouch joey growing. She doesn't have two joeys at the same time in the pouch, okay, that's a furphy. So in effect she has one independent joey a year. For 8 breeding years normal juvenile mortality is very high. It's normal in mammalian wildlife. It's about 73% the science shows, 100% during drought. So out of those 8 theoretical, possible joeys in good times and everything going well, you're going to get two surviving. The science also shows in historically unshot populations you have male-female parity. So out of those two joeys in this hypothetical world, one will be female. So if she's lucky, and if that one joey that survives out of the two is female, she will replace herself once in her lifetime. But if a doe suffers drought once... She has even lower fecundity, and not only that, her daughters have lower fecundity. If she suffers drought twice in her lifetime, and that's as far as the science went, with this particular piece of science, she'll have even less. So that's when you start talking about people saying they breed like rabbits, and a doe might be very lucky to replace herself once in her lifetime, if she lives that long to have her eight joeys... You know, that starts to tell a different story.
0: Environmental campaigner Helen. The success of this project clearly demonstrates that relocation can be highly successful if managed properly, rather than the usual killing program, or to make it sound more digestible, culling of kangaroos. I speak with Scott a biologist who is also known as Dr. Saurus, an entertainer who performs eco-tunes for kids. Can you just tell me a little bit about why you got involved in this project?
7: First of all, the ridiculous notion that um, kangaroos need shooting uh, needs to be proven wrong. Uh, That's one reason, but there are many other reasons. Um, Another reason is these guys had nowhere to go and a solution did need to be found. Uh, Their natural habitat has all gone around here. And uh, there were institutes that were desperate to remove them. So uh, this project came up with an alternative solution to shooting. And uh, I'm right on board with that. I would like to be a part of um, confirming that uh, it is a viable alternative. So uh, that's why we're here.
8: Friend and help somehow. We have a Tet soldier. We are nature's keepers.
0: In terms of kangaroo meat, most people think soldiers. it's a great industry. What have you got to say about that?
7: What have I got to say about that? I recommend that those who are eating kangaroo meat come out to a property and watch it get shot, watch it get cut, watch it get its head sawn off, watch it get its legs cut off all while it's still alive, watch it get hung on the back of the truck and watch it hang there all night while they shoot all the rest of them and collect 30 to 40 on one truck. Then by early morning, when all the flies are all over the bodies, watch them take it another two hours to a freezer in the middle of nowhere. And uh, I'm sure that will reduce the amount of meat consumption, that's for sure.
0: And how can they get that past, um, you know, food, health and safety?
7: That's a brilliant question. It is cloaked in the dark of night. That is really the way they get away with it. There is no monitoring. There is no policing. There is the weakest, poorest policies around the entire process, not only of shooting but of treatment processing. And, uh, but it's all done in the dead of the night. And that is how they get away with it.
0: And this, um, this particular project, in the terms of seeing all these different community groups working together, have you seen anything like this happen before?
7: <laughs> I've seen nothing like this. This is, this is unique. It's brilliant. It's, uh, it's great. And uh, everybody, everybody who lives here, will keep this experience forever. It's so positive. Such a positive experience.
8: away for people to eat and then they sell the skin. Mac got taken away today, Mac got taken away. He doesn't get to eat his grass cause Mac got taken away. Mac got taken away today, Mac got taken away. He doesn't get to eat. Cause Mac got taken away, Mac got taken away today, Mac got taken away He doesn't get to eat his grass cause Mac got taken away, Mac got taken away, today. Mac got taken away He doesn't get to eat his grass cause Mac got taken away, Mac got taken away today, Mac got taken away We'll never see that kangaroo cause Mac got taken away
0: And that was Dr. Saurus with Mac the Kangaroo. This next piece is from a Dreamtime story about kangaroos, sourced from Oracle of Dreaming by Donnie Heghanson.
9: In The Dreaming, the kangaroo mother did not have a pouch in which to keep her baby joey safe. She would leave her joey under a tree or hidden in long grasses while she looked for food and water. While she was away, the joey was in great danger from hungry dingoes or eagles. This particular time, she left her joey in the shade of a large gum tree while she went for water. On the way to the waterhole, she met an old, partially blind wombat ambling along. The kangaroo mother saw that the wombat was moving in the wrong direction, so she offered to lead him to water. He accepted her offer and she patiently guided him along. She even had to push and steer him along the path. They finally arrived at the waterhole. When they had quenched their thirst, the wombat asked the kangaroo to guide him to some grass, for he was hungry. The kangaroo mother agreed, but first she bounded away to check her joey. When she had made sure that he was safe, she returned to help the wombat. She was very patient with the wombat's slow, stumbling pace, guiding him at every step. While the wombat was feeding, a hunter came along. He was hungry and had not caught anything, so an old, tough wombat was better than nothing. The kangaroo, sensing the danger, leapt across the hunter's path to distract him from the wombat. The ruse worked and the hunter chased the kangaroo. She led him away, then lost him. Kangaroo went to check her joey before returning again to the wombat. The wombat was gone. Then the great spirit of Biami spoke. The great spirit had pretended to be an old, thirsty and hungry wombat who needed assistance to find out who out of all the animals was the kindest Miami offered to give the kangaroo a gift as a reward for a consideration. She asked for a pouch so that she could carry her joey with her at all times, instead of leaving him alone. She also requested pouches for her sisters, the other marsupials. This is why so many Australian animals have pouches.
0: That was a story from Oracle of the Dreamtime, read by Hanako. And Hanako came with me on the trip, helping out with logistics, research, photos. A big thanks there. And that was quite a road trip. And the music was by Paulman, my dear brother, Paul, whose music I am always poaching for the Bohemian Beat. Thanks, bro. And Paul is also one of the key people behind this project. There are a lot of community groups involved in this project. WIRE's Bathurst Kangaroo Research Project, Skillset Green Army, universities like UTS and also Rahamin Ecology Centre situated in the south of Bathurst. In this next piece, I speak with more of the volunteers starting with Ellen Garati, Executive Officer of Rahamin Ecology Centre.
10: So Rahamin is an ecology centre in the south of Bathurst We're actually a ministry of the Sisters of Mercy, and we were set up um, by some forward thinking sisters who could see a need to address um, this environmental crisis. And so long before Pope Francis came out with an encyclical called Laudato Si in 2015, they had already set up this place which was specifically geared towards education, formation, and advocacy around care of the earth. So we've been involved with this project in a few different ways. Um, probably the, the, the clearest um, involvement that we have apart from our staff's involvement with, uh, with the actual relocation of the kangaroos is we provide a number of rooms here at our education centre for volunteers on the project to stay while they're assisting with the relocation. Uh, Those are rooms we provide free of charge. Um, We just set them up like your average backpacker's hostel, I suppose, except perhaps a little bit nicer. People have their own rooms and share bathroom and kitchen facilities which foster a sense of community amongst the volunteers. Uh, We've also been helping the project in a few other ways as well. Um, Primarily over the last few months there have been a number of difficulties um, with the local council, um, struggling to come to terms with what the project involved and looking for how they might best support that and so our centre has played a part in helping to coordinate uh, local community efforts when it came to things like attending council meetings and talking about how this project benefits not just the local community um, but the local council as well and hopefully the business and development of, of Bathurst as a centre which is known for its innovation and its it's it's care for the earth, or it's passion for sustainability as well.
0: Hi Mitchell, have you been here quite a bit, or been part of the?
7: No, only for the last couple of weeks. I've
0: joined up and started volunteering. And what made you decide to get involved?
7: I actually had a friend uh, introduce me to the project uh, when I came down with him uh, and just yeah, got on the stretcher and really enjoyed it.
10: I, I live in the bush. I love the environment. I just think it's an amazing uh, amazing space, amazing country that we live in and uh, we've got an iconic species that's just being not treated very nicely so um, I had the opportunity to come and get involved in the kangaroo project and I've just learnt so much about our, our beautiful beautiful kangaroos and. Um, what what these incredible people are doing for them. Caitlin, what do you feel that,
0: you, that you've gotten out of this project? H- how has it made you feel by being part of this?
1: Well, my favourite part of being part of it is probably just that sense of community you get. You know, you go there the first time and it doesn't actually feel like it's the first time you've been there. Everyone just kind of welcomes you with open arms and... You get thrown right into it. The first time I went, I got given a sheet and I had to mark out all the kangaroos that had been tagged and then I went out spotting and, you know, you just get thrown into the experience and you just get welcomed so much.
0: And in terms of the kangaroos, how, how does it feel that you're actually participating in, you know, a very peaceable way and a way that everybody wins without this whole concept of always killing the kangaroos?
1: Yeah, I love that part about it. I love that I get to help find another way to do things and you know it's always been if kangaroos is getting in the way you cull them or you just get rid of them in other ways don't worry about them but it's just nice to be involved in a project that thinks outside the box and actually cares about our wildlife really. Max do you have anything else you'd like to add?
11: I really agree it's just amazing to see how how interconnected everyone is and how how amazing the work is that we all get done. Being a, being a part of something that's bigger than you really is quite rewarding. It really helps you feel and puts, you, puts things in perspective that work together as a team and have this communal mindset really brings out a passion and a joy in everyone.
12: By the grace and the power of the divine We are one, we all are one By the grace and the power of the great divine We are one, we all are one sacred. rock Sacred tree Pure sweet waters Sacred Blessed waters We are one By the grace And the divine we are one, we are one.
0: I'm speaking to Karen, Office Coordinator at Rahaman Ecology Centre.
13: Karen, can you tell me a little bit about how you got involved in this project? To be honest, I can't remember. It's been such a long time. There was a meeting held here with a whole group of stakeholders uh, around kangaroo management, um, I think Ray and Helen knew that the orchard, that where they were living was going to be demolished to make way for the second racetrack and they had been trying to talk to council about that and say, look, you're going this is going to create a problem, there's a whole bunch of kangaroos in there um, but they hadn't had any luck with that and council started the destruction of that orchard which resulted in a whole bunch of kangaroos fleeing into town and just chaos and bloodshed all over the roads and um, the the people who were doing that work said this isn't good, we have to stop this and then that created the space for a dialogue and I think the, the then acting executive director, Sister Patricia Powell, who was a founding member of Rahamim facilitated a meeting between Ray and Helen and National Parks and Wildlife and Council and managed to get that dialogue going and uh, which resulted in the project happening and we've just had contact with them ever since and so what we're involved as an organisation but there are also a number of individuals who work here who are involved as well, so outside of our work as Rahamim. So there are a few of us who go out on the nights where the darting happens and assist with that. We also do some admin work and run the fundraiser. So we've uh, set up a GoFundMe page and we've had contributions coming in from all over the world to assist with the payment of for drugs and things like that that, that the darters need. Yeah, so... I don't know how I myself got involved in, it. I obviously love the kangaroos, I love the fact that I don't come from here, I come from Sydney, my parents live out here and every time I would come out here to get to their house we would pass a mob of kangaroos and we loved them, it was always the last part of the journey and it was always really special to pass them and see what was happening and the more that Bathurst develops, the more land that is lost to those kangaroos and we thought that that was really upsetting. And it wasn't really until I moved here that I understood how hated kangaroos are, um, and that really upset me. I had always thought that people here coexisted quite peacefully with them, but that's not the reality. The majority of people out here would prefer to see them killed, and that just doesn't sit well with me. I I think that human beings need to learn how to exist with other other creatures that share this world or we have no future at all. And so I just felt this was something that I could get involved in and something that I really wanted to get involved in. In the grace and the power of the great
12: divine, we are one, we are the grace in the great divine we are one no separation as above is below connected through that that is who we are
11: community radio network.
0: That was Kerry ann Cox, who recorded that piece, We Are One, with Paul, especially for the Bohemian Beat. And Kerry ann has also performed at Raha Minocology Centre and hung out with the sisters there. We also heard Ellen and Karen from Raha Ecology Centre, Mitchell, Garadri... Caitlin and Max. This is The Bohemian Beat, and today I've been sharing with you this inspiring story of how groups of like-minded people came together and saved hundreds of kangaroos from being slaughtered by coordinating this massive relocation effort to a safe property. These volunteers put their lives on hold, particularly Ray and Helen, who have invested much of their life savings into this and, of course, the countless hours to make this happen. A big thank you to Helen, Ray, Mel, James, Paul, Scott, Karen and all the volunteers. We will end with a track from Paulman called Hut in the Trees. And I'll be back next week. Same beat time, same bohemian frequency with more Radio to Challenge. Check out the website, thebohemianbeat.com for more information. Thank you for joining me on the Bohemian Beat. I'm ready.
11: grandmother, mother to us all, we've got to know each other, beauty spots and all, I walk upon your skin and feel your pain within, I hear what's going on, I see what leeches we've become, I don't want to be part of this shit no more, Take me home to my hut in the trees I can live with these, far away from this disease I don't wanna be part of this shit no more In my heart I hear the earth as she speaks to me Turn my back and I lose a little piece of me We see you great grandmother, we fight you every day Your hand that feeds is slowly withering away You gave us everything that we could ever need We tore you open, looked our lips and watched you bleed I don't wanna be part of this shit no more Take me back to my hut in the trees I can live with these far away from this disease I no don't want to be part of this shit no more In your heart is the earth as she speaks to you Turn your back and you lose a little piece of you.